On Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. To join the conversation, call 508-871-7000. Now, here's your host, Mark Altman. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Welcome to I Communicate. I didn't realize I was on the air, but that's okay. Yeah, that's what We're that gonna start opening right music now. Means, yeah. Great news. <laughs> So first of all, I'd like to welcome Joe to the show. Joe, our producer today, how are you? I'm fantastic, Mark. Thank you. Awesome. Okay, so it's been a while. I'm really thrilled to be back. And, you know, I was thinking about a current event that happened a couple of weeks ago with Will Smith. And I know it's been talked about to death, but I'm going to take a different spin on this today. I like that guy. Uh, So here's the thing. We know what happened with Will Smith and Chris Rock, the slap heard around the world. And I've appropriately called this show Turning the Other Cheek because it's a perfect name for the show today. And, you know, a couple of things occurred to me in watching that take place. You know, one of the things I'm often teaching leaders is to lead with empathy. And I was surprised how polarizing this event was. There was a group of people who vehemently defended uh, Will Smith for defending his wife, you know, in her, in her alopecia and baldness. And then there was another group of people who were like, who the heck does Will Smith think he is? He should be arrested on the spot. And, I mean, there was no middle. Like, you either thought Will Smith did the greatest thing in the world or you thought it was a terrible thing. And see, to me, you know, when you're understanding how other people behave and act, you have to have some insight and empathy. So first, we're, the show today is about self-control and managing your emotions. And I want to start out with what was going through Will Smith's mind. So I had a lot of people email me after this incident because they know I teach emotional intelligence. And they said, Mark, what do you think about that whole Will Smith thing? And this was my answer. And this is a concept I teach people all the time. It's called simultaneous emotions. So this is what I thought. I thought, if I was in front of millions of people and I felt someone humiliated and embarrassed my partner, I'd have been really angry. And my first instinct would have been to defend my partner. Would I have gone up on stage and hit somebody? Unlikely. And I also don't know exactly how I would have reacted because unless you're in the situation with the adrenaline and the embarrassment, who knows how I would have reacted. And I'm fairly confident I wouldn't have gone and hit someone. My point is, I empathize with what was going through Will Smith's head at that point. And if you watch the clip, Will Smith initially laughs, right? Then he looks over at Jada, and Jada's got this look, and like at that moment, You know, it's almost like Jada's body language is like, you better do something about this because I'm not happy. Now, that's not a rationalization or excuse. It's just a reality that Jada's look triggered Will to do something because I don't believe he was going to do something until that point. So he goes up on stage. He hits Chris Rock. Chris Rock shows incredible restraint. I mean, you talk about managing your emotions. I mean, I don't know if Chris Rock showed that restraint so much because he was so stunned by what just happened, or he just restrained himself. So he makes this mistake. Chris Rock shows restraint. 
And now, as we evaluate the situation, we're back to the cancel culture. And I just want to say, I said this on the show before, I'll say it again, I detest politics. This show will never, ever be about politics because I hate politics. It's all agenda-driven, and I want nothing to do with it. And what I don't understand, and this is why I'm leading the show with this today, is in your life, as a listener to this show, when someone wrongs you, and I understand wronging you can be situational. It can be a small thing. It can be a big thing. But when someone wrongs you, what do you want from them? You want an apology? Yeah. Well, we all want apologies. What do we want the apology to include? Do we want it to be authentic, remorseful, sincere? Do we want the apology to give an example and a commitment that they won't repeat the same behavior again? I mean, everybody has a different, they're called languages of apology. So everybody has a different language of apology. But the point is, Will Smith did not have his agent write a press release. Will Smith got out there and verbally made a heartfelt apology. And if you listen to it, it, it to me, my interpretation is it was sincere. And so, but people are still so angry. And I feel like part of the reason people are angry is because when people have a lot of money and are really successful, we like to see them fail. We like to see them brought back down to earth again. And frankly, Will Smith does not have a track record or pattern of doing these kinds of things. So it's not like, you know, if you're a football fan, this is not Josh Gordon's sixth chance to play in the NFL. You know, this isn't someone who's had drug issues coming back for the fifth time. Will Smith has no past record of this. So he made a genuine apology, and now Netflix is canceling show projects he has People are like, you know, I don't like Will Smith anymore. And I'm like, I, I don't get that. I, I don't get it. No pattern or track record of this. Genuinely remorseful apology. He had a weak moment. And I ask anybody listening to the show to you today, if I said to you right now, I'm going to give you a homework assignment. I want you to write down every time in your life you've had a weak moment, reacted, overreacted, and didn't control your emotions the way you wanted. Could you have a list? Would you have a list in front of you? Would there be a lot of do-over potentials for you? Because I know there would for me. I would have no trouble coming up with a list over the course of my life when I had weak moments and didn't manage or control my emotions effectively. And when you talk about turning the other cheek and when you talk about managing your emotions... It's such a, such a central aspect of emotional intelligence. The thing about emotional intelligence is you're managing your emotions. It doesn't mean you don't get to have emotions. You're managing them. Okay? So think about this. When you get upset, when you get frustrated, you are entitled to those feelings and emotions. But the thing about emotion management is people often equate it to anger and conflict. And what I always like to talk about with emotion management is it starts out with a self-awareness and a recognition of when your emotions have changed, period. During the pandemic, Joe, what we're seeing a lot of is people working at home, different environments, and they become demotivated. They're not as productive. They're not around people. 
And so they start to have bad habits working at home. So emotion management is that if you sense you're becoming low energy, not motivated, not yourself, what do you want to do about it? Can you even recognize it's happening? And assuming you recognize it's happening, you know, how will you respond to those situations and not react? So emotion management could be your motivation changes, your energy changes, you become sad, disappointed, frustrated, angry. Heck, it could even be a good motion change. But managing your emotions, sometimes you can be too excited and too passionate and affect a situation. So, Joe, I ask you, as a newcomer here to I Communicate, what is a situation? Can you think of something that frustrates you or a pet peeve of yours where you may not be able to manage your emotions as effectively as you'd like? Pet peeve, huh? I have a lot of pet peeves. Uh, for the work environment, you mean? It, it, uh, it could be personal. Okay. Well, the work thing, because over my career, I've done the both, right? Got an office every day, but I've always had a home office. I have a home office and studio now. So I recognized a long time ago that you have to create a schedule and routine if you're working at home. And I think that means you get up, shower and dress like you're going to work, and put the work clothes on. Don't go to work in your pajamas, right, or your your sweats or whatever you're sleeping. You have to do that change. And, and, and I notice the difference because if you don't do that, it's 10 o'clock in the morning and you still feel like you're waking up and it's still the morning. So when I work from home, I get up, I shower, and I change into regular clothes. And then, and then I walk into the home studio uh, or the office and I work. And huge difference if you don't do that. So that's just a, a working uh, from home thing that I've had. And I've done on my show, I've actually done this topic. And my guest was actually did her master thesis on remote working. Uh, and this was long before COVID, right? It had nothing to do. This was years before it and, uh, and studied on it. And that was yep. one of the biggest things that they came up with is uh, you got to treat working at home like you've gone to work. You know, and yeah. change that. And even your family will realize if mom or dad is dressed, they're at work, right? They're not home yet, even though they're in the house. Um, wait until they're officially off of work before you start bringing the kids and the soccer game and all that into their Yeah, so, so Joe, so great points. I don't want to shift so much, though, to the remote work arrangement yeah. because we're talking about emotion management. Right. And to your point, though, I do like what Joe said because – you know, part of recognizing changes in emotion and having that self-awareness is what Joe talked about, putting processes in place to set yourself up for success. So I love that point, Joe. And I think, look, at the end of the day, you know, emotion, emotional intelligence is about self-awareness of when something's changing and then whether you want to respond or react to the situation. And frankly, I have to share a quick story before we go into our first break. You know, I was coaching a guy, uh, a guy I've coached for a long time, great guy, and a couple of months ago, I sensed he didn't like the words emotional intelligence. And so I finally asked him about it, and I said, hey, man, is are you, you don't like when I use the word emotional intelligence? He goes, I don't, because the word intelligence, if I don't have emotional intelligence, I feel like it means I'm stupid or, or incompetent related to my emotions. And I thought, wow, that's a great point because IQ, we equate to a level of smarts and intelligence. So he was relating that kind of concept of IQ to EQ. 
So I've actually started to shift the term of emotional intelligence to emotional agility. And the word agility means adapting, being flexible. And so when we come back for our, for our, after our first segment, we're going to talk more about how you can manage your emotions and what tends to trigger them. We'll be right back. Now, I Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate. And uh, we're talking about uh, turning the other cheek, uh, self-control, emotion management. And, uh, you know, I want to I start off talking this segment, talking a little bit about Star Wars for a second. You know, uh, people that know me really well know I'm a huge Star Wars fan. Um, I'm somewhat amazed at how the new shows, uh, recent shows, Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett, have brought so many uh, uh, fans my age back to Star Wars. It's so awesome to see, frankly. And, uh, you know, I, I, I did a show a couple of years ago on how Star Wars is a, is a cover for emotional intelligence. And, you know, if you think about the whole Luke's journey to not go to the dark side and on the original Star Wars movies – and how what Yoda was teaching him is to have hit that inner strength and use the force essentially to manage his emotions, right? Like that's what Star Wars is about. It's about managing your emotions. And I don't know, you know, if I could, God, first of all, if I could ever get George Lucas on this show, I mean, you wouldn't even be able to measure my excitement level, but that's for another day. The point is, if I had George Lucas here, I really would love to know when he created these Star Wars movies if that was the intention, I mean, a lot of people might say, well, it had to be, right? Because the storylines are very clear. But, I mean, did George Lucas know what emotional intelligence was back in the 70s? Like, was he thinking that I want to teach lessons from this? I mean, I have no idea. But I just love the message that the Star Wars uh, series tr- traditionally presents. So I, I want to I get into what causes people to struggle to manage their emotions, And in my experience, one of the things I teach is the marriage of conversational intelligence and emotional intelligence or agility. And so I'm ultimately trying to teach people to be emotionally agile communicators. So here's what I mean by that. When you start a conversation with someone, okay, if you're in a position of authority, if you're a coach, a sports coach, a parent, a leader, you have an expectation of how that conversations often going to go. Because if you're in a position of authority, you're saying to someone, I need you to do something. I want you to do something. I expect you to do something. And then you expect them to cooperate. And you expect them to agree and comply with what you've asked for. And at the start of a conversation, it can be much easier to be emotionally agile because nothing's happened yet that would throw you off your game. What happens in conversation is there is a series of five things that could happen in a conversation that would impact your ability to manage your emotions. The first thing is you could be criticized about something. The second thing is you could be blamed for something. The third thing you could be deflect, someone could deflect and not answer the question you're asking, which frustrates and triggers people because they don't feel heard. The fourth thing someone could do is defend themselves. And the fifth thing the person could do 
is make excuses. So during a conversation, any of those things could happen that could throw you off your game. And the thing about managing your emotions is if you don't manage your emotions effectively, it shows so many different ways. And the analogy I always like to make is, you know, I've worked with sports coaches in high schools before. And one of the questions and one of the comments I hear is that a parent, one of their biggest complaints when their kids are coached in sports is when the coach yells at the kid a lot, right? And so that implies a lack of emotion management. And see, for me, I don't necessarily think yelling is automatically a bad thing. You know, as a coach, there are times that you have to vary your messages so the messaging doesn't get stale. And I would say that as a coach, if your only tool in your arsenal to motivate people is to yell, then you're not a good coach. If you pick and choose spots to send a message to motivate and influence people, I'm okay with that. And the point I'm trying to make is yelling is not the only way your emotions show. It's the words you choose. It's the tone you take, and yelling is an example of tone. What about the body language? Your body language, to use Yoda's words, can betray you all the time. So if someone does something in a conversation to disappoint you, accuse you, criticize you, blame you, if you have a look that you give them back, then you, your emotions gave yourself away what you're thinking and how you're feeling. And that is a lack of emotion management. Remember what I said at the top of the show. You're entitled to have emotions. You're justified to have emotions. But how you communicate those emotions and how you respond is what we're talking about today. So there's so many reasons, so many reasons to get triggered and have your emotions get the best of you. I was talking to the general manager of the station, Chris, before the show today, and I said to him, I said, Chris, give me an example of something that happens where you would struggle to manage your emotions. And he said, when people take advantage. You know, it's like when we're kind to people and compassion and then people take advantage of that, that frustrates me. That triggers me. And I was like, wow, that's a great example. I don't know too many people who wouldn't get frustrated if they felt they were taken advantage of. Then we talked about entitlement, right? And I have to say that I look at a guy, a basketball player like LeBron James, who I'm just going to say right up front, I detest LeBron James. So no I'm going to say that I'm biased here, okay? I'm just going to call it out. But LeBron James, here's a guy who's had an incredible career. He's going to be the number one scorer of all time. He's won four championships. He's been in 10. His resume couldn't be longer to show how amazing his career here. And most people don't like him. And you know why most people don't like him? Because he acts entitled and he's a narcissist, and he's a crybaby. And so when people see these behaviors on the court, they get triggered. They represent behaviors that they don't respect, and they don't admire, and they get triggered. So we're talking about all the different things over the course of a day, a week, a month, that could set you off emotions. So we're talking about people taking advantage of you. We're talking about being criticized, accused, or blamed. We're talking about people who act entitled, right? 
In the workplace, I hear it all the time. I hear it from older generations in the workplace. They say millennials act entitled. And you know something? I guess I, I, I struggle when we label a group of people 100% true. It feels ignorant, frankly. Um, do some millennials act entitled? I would sure that's 100% true. Doesn't mean every millennial acts entitled. But the point is, whether you believe every millennial acts entitled or some millennials act entitled, guess what? Some old people act entitled, right? There's always a group or facet of every generation that acts entitled. But the bottom line, again, if you are triggered by people who act entitled, it's going to impact how you interact. It's going gonna, it's gonna to impact how you interact because you're going to see those people through your own lens in a specific lens. You're going to become judgmental and you're going to make assumptions of those people. And then when you become judgmental and make assumptions, your communication will be drastically impacted because you're being judgmental. Now, what I would say is one of the most powerful ways that we struggle with emotions is when we have differing values. We're talking about value judgments. I see it all the time with leaders. Just yesterday, a guy said to me, I get really frustrated when I know I'm right and people can't see it. Now think about that statement. I know I'm right. That person may be right, or as Billy Joel said, or they may be crazy, or they just may be the lunatic you're looking for. I just had to get a Billy Joel reference in here. So so the moral to this story is that We get triggered because if people have different sets of values than us, then we see it as black and white. I'm right, they're wrong. Look at politics. Look at how much politics has divided our country because people have different values around politics. So if you like this, if you vote for this person, it means you have this set of values. May be right, may not be right. But the point is, Differing values are a trigger for people. And when I come back for our next segment, I'm going to continue talking about just how much values play into our relationships and impact our ability to keep our emotions in check. So for I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be back after the break. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate. I'm your host, Mark Altman. Thrilled to be here with you. And we're talking about uh, emotion management, self-control. And I want to start out this segment talking about um, a situation that I just encountered a few days ago. This is a real story. Um, A colleague of mine sent me a message on LinkedIn and looped in somebody else saying that, Mark, you should meet this person. They could be really helpful for you. And I didn't realize because I was rushing and not self-aware in that moment, I did not realize that that person was part of that message chain. So I had already talked to this person in the past, and I did not have a great interaction with this person. And so my response was, it was another, it was another service provider, and my response in that LinkedIn message chain was, oh, I've already talked to this person They're incredibly expensive, and they don't guarantee their work. 
And then as soon as I sent it, I looked up and I saw that the person was in the message chain. So I tried to salvage it the best I could. And I, I, I then sent another message saying, you know, I'm paraphrasing, saying to the person's name, I'm not going to obviously say who it is, but saying to the person's name, hey, by the way, you know, I don't know if you remember our conversation and I know you really do good work and I respect that. It's just that as a small business, I couldn't afford your services. So that was essentially my follow-up message. Well, this guy comes back and just full-on attack and sends me this long message about, you know, how dare I expect services to be guaranteed. And he sent me this whole long lecture and angry and hostile response. So I stared at it and looked at it for a couple of minutes. And I'm sharing this story with our listeners today is because this is where the rubber hits the road here. Here's what goes through a person's mind when you're attacked. And tell me if, tell me if this makes sense. First, you feel like if someone attacks you, if you feel like if your interpretation of the attack is inaccurate, you want to stick up for yourself. You want to set the record straight. And the problem with sticking up for yourself and setting the record straight in some situations is to what end? You know, I have no relationship with this person. I'm not going to have a relationship with this person. And here's something I want you to think about as a listener, okay? Sometimes we rely so heavily on how other people think of us for our self-esteem and confidence. And I ask you, do you care so much about how other people think of you that it doesn't matter who is giving you feedback, that anybody in this world that gives you feedback, if they tear you down or they criticize or attack you, then that's going to impact you the same way someone who you respect and love and, and value gives you feedback. So this person, I'm sitting there staring at the screen. I'm thinking to myself, I, I have no relationship with this person. I don't necessarily value their feedback. They're entitled to their opinion. That's their interpretation or perception of the situation. And I have to tell you that I stared at the screen for five minutes with my hands frozen to not type a response. Okay? And then I'm going to say about six hours went by and I couldn't get it out of my mind. I'm like, I got to say something. I've got to say something. But I didn't. And one of the messages I want to give about emotional agility and emotion control is when you turn the other cheek, if Will Smith had sat in his seat, even when Jada gave him that look and didn't walk up on stage and hit Chris Rock, it wasn't going to be the end of it for Will Smith. Will Smith was simmering. He had anger. That anger has to go somewhere and he either talks it out with someone, supportive, so we can, you know, get control of his emotions again. Or he carries it around in his head, holds a grudge, tells Chris Rock angry, tells off Chris Rock in an angry way after the Oscars, whatever. My point is emotion management is not just in that moment turning the cheek. It's coping with it. It's moving past it once and for all. Because even six hours later, I was still thinking about it. And clearly, it's still on my mind because I'm bringing it up as an example on the show, right? So what we're talking about with emotion management is it's not just in the moment being able to stop yourself, stop, how am I feeling, 
Why am I feeling this way? Okay, articulate. This is an this is a three step process I teach people all the time. Stop, think, act. Stop. Am I angry? Name the emotion. Say what you're feeling. And if you're in front of people, say it to yourself. Take a breath. Label that reaction. What are the emotions you're fa- what are the emotions you're feeling? And then think. Ask yourself, why am I feeling this way? Is it because anybody who acts hostile and criticizes to me, I get angry? Is it this specific person that's making me angry? Is it the words he chose that made me angry? Think about what it is you're angry about. And then react. Stop, think, act. You don't want to overreact. You want to respond with a thoughtful and skillful response. And part of the choice of responding versus reacting is not saying anything at all and moving past it. And so in that specific situation, I chose that. So stop, take a breath, name the emotion. Think, why am I upset? What specifically am I upset about here? Act, how do I want to respond to this situation? Do I want to let it go? Can I let it go? Will I be able to let it go? Because that's the magical question. Because if you don't think you'll be able to let it go, then you need to address it and respond in a thoughtful and skillful way. So that's the process, everybody. Now, there was another situation the other day that I want to share as an example where someone invited me to do something. And I responded by saying, possibly I need to check on a couple of things. And then the person responded by being frustrated with me. And I'm thinking to myself, what did I do wrong here? Like she, she asked me if I wanted to do something. I then said, I need to, I, possibly I just need to check on a couple of things. And she got frustrated. And I realized that I had choices in how I respond to this. I could get angry and say, you know, I don't appreciate you criticizing me for my response. I could do nothing at all, or I could do what I always teach people is I was curious. And so my response to that person was, you know, you sound frustrated. Were you expecting me to respond differently? And that actually created a healthy conversation back and forth that gave us both clarity. And we both learned something from that experience. But when you're, Joe talked about it earlier in the show, when you have an awareness about something, that you know when you have a lack of motivation, lack of productivity, you sense habits in yourself that aren't healthy habits, what do you do? You, you try to form some habits and put some processes in place. So one of the processes about responding to people and not reacting and being curious is you always have three choices how to handle a situation. You can default to the negative and think the worst of people and assume negative intent. You can default to the positive and be glass half full and think positive intent. I don't want you to do either of those things. I want you to be curious because if you default to positive intent, you may be missing something. You may be judging and assuming when you shouldn't and you should be curious. If someone gives me a compliment, Okay, here's a great example. Let's say I'm doing a speaking engagement 
And someone comes up to me after the speaking engagement and says, Mark, that was awesome. I'm curious to know why they thought it was awesome. Because if they tell me why, it reinforces certain things I may want to keep doing. Or the flip side, if someone says, geez, you know, I don't, I don't think that was the best speaking engagement I ever heard. I'm going to say that I'm going to be curious then too. I'm going to say, it'd be great if you could give me some feedback just so I know what I could do differently next time. Be curious is this phrase changed my life. And I have coached and trained so many leaders who have come back and told me how much that phrase helps them respond and be thoughtful when they're frustrated and triggered. If I walk out of this place today and I look at Joe and I go, Joe, I don't appreciate how you produced the show today, right? Joe could be sitting there thinking to himself, who the hell is this guy? Like, what do you mean you don't, you're not paying me. Like, you don't get to say that to me. But I give you that example because your immediate reaction, most people's immediate reaction is, who are you to say that to me? You don't have that right. But if I'm Joe, if I was coaching Joe, I would say, geez, Mark, I didn't know you felt that way. What made you say that? Because then Joe can be curious. And the thing about effective conversation and communication is, if you react too quickly, you are missing data. You are missing information. Emotions are signposts for information. So by being curious, you get to collect all the data and information to know how to more effectively and thoughtfully respond. And that's why being curious is absolutely essential. Okay, we're heading into our our final break here. When we come back for our final segment, we'll talk a little bit more about value judgments. And we'll specifically, when we talk about value judgments, we're going to talk about how they can actually, when you have a difference in value judgments, how you can actually use that as a bridge to stronger relationships and better communication. And I'll give you examples of how that ties into unmet expectations and disappointment. So for Mark Altman and I Communicate, we'll be right back. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate for our final segment. And I promised we would finish today talking about the power of value judgments. So I want to give a great example of a value judgment and how it can impact a relationship in communication and how emotions can get the best of you. So this is a situation of a person I know who works with home builders, okay? And so he's dealing with, he's telling me this story about a home builder he works with and the home builder refuses to warranty his work. And so he's livid. He's telling me the story. He's like, Mark, how do you not warranty your work? Like, it's it's so standard in the industry to warranty your work. I don't get it. So I explained to him and said that that's, that's his choice, right? You think he's wrong for not warrantying his work because if it was your business, that's not how you'd do it. And I frankly think he's wrong too, but that doesn't mean he's wrong right? That's a difference in value judgment. If you do a money-back guarantee, if you warranty your work, that's your prerogative. You can do that. You don't have to do that. And guess what? If you don't want to work with the guy because he doesn't warranty your work, then don't. You don't have to. But I said to him, I said, keep in mind that this guy 
didn't wake up one day and say, you know what, I'm going to run my business and not warranty my work. He's clearly been doing it for a while and gotten away with it. So we are a society where, talk about taking advantage, we're a society that give us an inch, we'll take a yard. And this guy's taking the yard. So when you talk about value judgments, if you look at things very black and white and say, I'm right, they're wrong, that's where your emotions are going to struggle. Because if you can only see things your way or their way, it doesn't work. So to me, that's an example of a value judgment. By judging people for, I mean, I always, I always, you know, we see it a lot with, with nutrition and health now. When people are vegan or vegetarian, have different ways of eating, you know, that's weird. You know, why would you do that? And there's just like this judgment assumption level of value. And so this is what I mean. So if you're an emotionally agile person and you're engaging in conflict or you don't feel people have met your expectations or disappointed you, first you have to check yourself and recognize if you're making a value judgment. And the truth of the matter is the majority of human beings don't set out to be malicious don't set out to anger you. So when they don't meet your expectations, they don't hit a deadline that they commit to doing. They don't follow up on a project they said they were going to do. They don't make calls they say they're going to make. I assure you that the majority of the human population is not sitting at their desk going, you know what I'm going to do to piss off my boss? I'm not going to make those calls. They're not doing it. When people don't do what you want them to do, there is a litany of reasons that is. It could be because they've never been taught how. They don't have the template from their family, from a past boss, work experience. They don't know how to do it. But they're going to tell you they're going to do it because they may be embarrassed to admit they don't know how to do it. Okay. The second thing is they may know how to do it, but they may not be confident at it and they may think they're going to fail. The third thing is they may not be motivated to do it because it's not fun. It doesn't feel like it's part of their job and they already feel like they do enough. The fourth reason is because they have no experience doing it. They don't know where to begin. They want to do it. They're motivated, but they don't even know where to start, right? Motivation, knowledge, confidence, skills, People blame time management on everything. People always like to say, well, the reason why I'm too busy, they love saying that, I'm too busy. Guess what? I say this time and again. The number one contributor to poor time management is lack of boundary setting, right? That's that's where time management starts. But even aside from that, you have planning, prioritization, procrastination, knowing how to organize and structure your, your priorities, your time. So we're going to be disappointed. People are not going to meet our expectations. And when you're managing your emotions, if your default reaction is they don't care, they don't respect me, they don't value their job, they take no pride in their job, that's judgmental. That's a value-based judgment. Why don't you start being curious? Because you really don't know. If people don't care about their job or don't take pride in their job, ask. 
Be curious. Wonder why people aren't doing what you want them to do. Understand what their motivation is. People change when they want to change. People change when they understand what's in it for them. They need to understand the motivators. What would motivate a person to do what you're asking them to do? And let me tell you something. I've said this many times on the show before. Please tell me as a leader, you have more in your toolkit than rewards and consequences. Because at the end of the day, there's so many situations in the workplace where when someone doesn't do what you want them to do, you're not going to fire them for it. So if you don't have the punishment of firing and you're not going to pay them to do it, what else you got? You got curiosity. You have understanding what motivates people intrinsically and extrinsically for that matter. So understand the motivating factors. Understand the benefits of the motivating factors. If you ask someone why they want to be a better coach to the people on their team and their response is, because I I value professional growth, come on. What do you mean you value professional growth? Every time someone says to me, you know what? You can always learn. I'm like, give me a break. That's such a throwaway generic line. You can always learn. You can always get better. I don't need you to tell me what is true. I need to tell me, I need you to tell me your truth. Are you motivated to learn? Not you can always learn. And so understanding when someone says, I value personal and professional growth, my next question would be, why? What motivates you to value personal and professional growth? That's what you need to understand, not the generic personal and professional growth line. And then you have to understand the benefits of the motivators. So if I'm motivated to be a better coach to the people on my team, well, what's the benefit of that? Well, the benefit of that may be that it's a core value for you to develop your team and enhance their skill set and build their confidence. That may be the benefits that you're impacting people's lives in a positive way, and that's supposed to be what you're doing as a leader anyway. So what are the benefits? If you coach people and you develop them, maybe extrinsically you get a promotion and make more money. And maybe intrinsically, right, you shift their mindset, you develop their skills, you build their confidence, and you take them to a different level than they previously thought they could reach. Okay? And then last but not least, the consequences of inaction. So if someone, I'll use my son. If I say to my son, what do you want to get for grades in the fourth term or the fourth quarter? And he says to me, I want to get all A's. I look at him and I go, but what if you don't? Then what? And anytime I ask that to a kid, they always look at me quizzically like, what do you mean, what if I don't? I'm like, what if you don't? What will happen if you don't get all A's? And they'll be like, I don't know. I mean, I guess it wouldn't hurt if I got a couple of B's. So I guess it doesn't, you don't really need to get all A's then. Because if, if the other person doesn't see a real consequence to not succeeding in achieving their goal, then they're probably not motivated to hit their goal. Look, when you, if you think about physical health, if you want to feel better physically, yeah, we all want to, like, who doesn't want to feel better physically? Like, that's a generic throwaway line. At the end of the day, what it comes down to is what are you, what are you motivated to do, right? 
you know, I, I'm, I'm 15 pounds heavier than I've ever been. I'd like to lose weight. I really haven't done anything yet to take me down that journey. And I'll tell people all the time, yeah, I need to lose weight. I need to lose weight. But I haven't really identified the consequences of inaction and what would motivate me to do so. And when you talk about physical, mental, or emotional health, typically, as a society, we need to be backed into a corner to be motivated to do something different. It has to get bad enough to force us to do something different. So when we're talking about emotion management, right, understand people's intentions. Understand people's value systems and motivators. Because most people are not setting out to anger you, disappoint you, and harm you. Some are, but most aren't. And so emotion management, and this is the final concept I want to go over with everybody. It starts with managing yourself. If you're trying to coach other people in your life, personally or professionally, on how to more effectively manage their emotions, respond, not react, be skillful, be thoughtful in how you communicate with people, think about, be curious, why is someone acting or behaving the way they are? If you want to coach other people how to do that, you better learn how to do it yourself first because you can't manage other people effectively until you know how to manage yourself. Because as I said earlier in the show, you're going to see things through a certain lens. So if your standards for for success are high and you want perfection and that's how you live your own life and you criticize yourself a lot if you don't get those high standards, then that's how you're going to lead other people. And you're going to hold them to those high standards. That's what I mean about managing yourself. If you value work ethic, and work ethic means working 60 or 70 hours a week, and that's your standard, and that's what you expect of other people, that's what I mean about managing yourself. Don't infringe your value systems on other people, because other people can be amazingly productive and successful, even if they don't meet your specific standards and expectations. But if you're black and white, and it has to be my way or no way, you're going to be set up for disappointment. So look, we do a ton of work with leadership and, and teams, sales teams, finance teams. People always ask me, Mark, who, who are the people in organizations who stereotypically need the most help with emotional agility? Guess what? It's technology and finance. Those are the two departments. But whether it's your sales team, technology, finance, HR, leadership teams at different levels, we're happy to help. Please call 978-793-1159 or info at mindsetgo.com for more information. It never hurts to talk. Uh, we'd love to help you. We do executive coaching, training, and the like. Um, Joe, thank you so much for producing the show today. I appreciate your support. And uh, we'll see you next time for another edition of iCommunicate. <laughs>